Good morning, church. Welcome to worship, both here in person and those of you joining us online. If you're here in the room, I'm going to ask you to stand with us as we prepare to worship the Lord together. And if you're watching us, don't just watch us, but join us. Worship with us. Come to the presence of the Lord with us. He is here and he is there with you. Church, I am encouraged uh, and I'm rejoicing in this thought this morning that the eternal, all-knowing, all-sufficient God that does not need or want anything, he desires me. He rejoices over me and he invites me. He desires you and rejoices over you and invites you into fellowship with him. That is the reality in which we gather and we worship together, amen? So let that sink in and tune our hearts with his presence and respond to him. He came in Jesus Christ to seek worshipers, to seek us. He is pursuing us daily and even now where we are. So hear these words from Jesus in the book of John chapter four. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So let's get ready to sing to him and respond because he is seeking us, he is pursuing us. So Father, we come to you and we respond to you because all we want, all we need, we find it in Jesus Christ. We long to see you, we want to be with you. So bless our time together as we worship and let us see your glory, we pray.
rumors of the Son of Man, stories of a Savior, holiness with human hands, the treasure for the traitor. No ear has heard, no eye has seen.
every other name. No other name is worthy. He's our anchor, our refuge, our hiding place. He's our strength. And he gives us this invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Forgive us for the times that we have taken on hard yokes and run to harsh masters. When we have run from you, instead of running to you for the rest we need. Help us surrender in humility and faith and take on your yoke and find life and joy and peace and rest in you. We need you, Lord. We come to you this morning.
He's all we want. He's all we need. Make this the cry of our hearts this morning. We need you. We want you, Jesus. We want more of you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
Good morning, it's so great to see you here today. My name is Michael and I serve with our creative team. And my name is Hannah and I serve with our student life team at our West Chicago campus. If it's your first time or your first time in a really long time here, we're so excited to have you back. And maybe you've been thinking, man, what's going on these days at church? We have a newsletter for you and you can find that at wheatonbible.org slash newsletter. You can pick the campus that you go to, the service time, and have that newsletter sent directly to you. Yeah, you'll get to see what's going on, what's coming up. Um, especially you'll have some serve opportunities in there if you're looking to get involved in the community with our different ministries here. It's really good. And if you are new here, um, I've been missing getting to know people. It's just, it, I miss it. I know, I miss people. I love people. So I was talking with my wife and you know she's an excellent cook, right? Oh my gosh, Elisa's cooking. Chef's kiss. It's very good. So, so good. Um, if you are new around here and you're wanting to get to know somebody, you can do two things. One, you can go to wheatonbible.org slash connect. Somebody will reach out to you. Or two, if you would like me to come to your house, I will bring some of Elise's cooking, some of her soup to your house this week. Just text soup to 630-260-1600 <laughs> and you'll get some soup this week. That's amazing. It's going to be cold. That's amazing. You need some soup. Yes. Oh That's my gosh. Do. do it. Yeah. I'm 10 out of 10 recommend Elisa's Soup. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, as you know, I run help run the website here and I have a number for you to guess. It's okay. 400. What do you think 400 is? Uh, you pounded 400 Pop-Tarts your senior year of college. No. <laughs> Was Four, it close? No, not even close. <laughs> 500. Um, <laughs> 400 is the number of people that are going through our two-year Bible reading plan right now. It's the wow. McShane Bible reading plan. So 400 people are reading the same chapters of the Bible every day and able to talk about it with each other. That's pretty awesome. That is really awesome. And if you haven't started that reading plan yet and you want to, you can find that at wheatonbible.org slash resources and you can get just the February calendar there. Or if you wanna know what's in store the whole year, you can download the entire year-long calendar there. So Michael, I think that's all of our announcements for today. So one more thing. We have one more thing. Yes. After this, we've got a great video coming up. So check this out and text soup. See ya. <laughs> you may remember Josephine, one of our Missions Fest giving project partners with Hope for Life Kenya. Our church has partnered with this gifted visionary since 2004 when she began a feeding program for 20 children orphaned by HIV AIDS. Today, the Hope for Life Center provides holistic care for over 300 vulnerable children by providing nutritious meals, after-school programs, vocational training, and the gospel. Josephine has also been instrumental in empowering leaders throughout East Africa to be agents of transformation in their communities. Each month, our church invests heavily in Hope Kenya. But during this global pandemic, Kenya has been hit so hard. Josephine mobilized community leaders to distribute food and emergency supplies throughout the region. Our additional $15,000 grant through Missions Fest has empowered Josephine to feed the families of more than 300 vulnerable children every week. And when the in-person feeding program begins safely again at the center, our ongoing generosity will ensure a nutritious daily meal month after month. God is using Josephine in a powerful way to help fellow Kenyans find hope. Through your generosity, you are helping make this possible. Well, good morning. I want to pray, but before I pray, I want you to know I have been with Josephine, Ron, and I've been there in Africa 
as have many of you, frankly, at Wheaton Bible Church have as well. And what she is doing with children, what she is doing with empowering women to start micro-businesses is just phenomenal. And this is a part of where our giving goes. It illustrates our church's commitment to spend ourselves, to invest our resources in what God is doing locally and globally. Having said that, would you bow with me? Father, I want to thank you for all you give us in the richness and the beauty and the majesty of our Savior to think that Jesus became a man. That he willingly went to the cross to die in our place for our sins. Who could have made this up? This is the greatest love story of all time. The most costly in the universe. And we gather together today because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And he is drawing people to himself. He is using the likes of Wheaton Bible Church, our sister churches. He is doing incredible things through Josephine and Scott and Barb Harvard and the ministry in Nakuru, Kenya. And we today thank you and praise you and worship you that you are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So Father, we want to be generous. We want to be givers. And we give to you and we worship you. We follow you because of your incredible compassion, mercy, goodness, and grace. And now, Father, as we turn to your word, your word is alive. Your word is the sword of the spirit. Your word is the rock. Because your word teaches us about Jesus. So open our hearts, open our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to welcome those of you that are uh, watching online. I especially want to welcome all of you that have braved 100 below zero weather to be here today. Let's give ourselves a round of applause. Way to go, guys. There are a lot of you here today. I'm so encouraged by that in spite of this wonderful Chicago weather. And I say that because I know a lot of you are watching us today from different parts of the country, different parts of the world, and we are so thankful that you are here. We are about to look at a passage that is a veritable feast. It's a fascinating foundational passage in the Gospels on who Jesus is and all that he is for us as followers of Christ. I cannot wait. But let me give you a little context to set this up. It was an awful moment in the lives of the disciples of Jesus. Because this passage, because Jesus gives us this passage, uh, teaches this to the disciples, in the last, in, in the final hours of his earthly life with them. 
And the disciples are in turmoil. The disciples are raw. Judas has just deserted them. Jesus has announced Peter will fail them, that he will be killed, and that he is about to leave them. And to use a modern metaphor, the disciples right now in this moment, as Jesus gives this incredible word, are so far over their skis that they know that they are about to crash and they fear they will never, ever recover. So in these final hours Jesus has with the disciples, in what we call this upper room discourse, John 13 through John 17, uh, Jesus is pouring into the disciples. Jesus is teaching the disciples. Uh, Jesus is preparing the disciples for the turbulence ahead. So that's why, as we saw last week, and at the end of John chapter 14, Jesus introduces the role of the Holy Spirit into their lives. And Jesus says, and he will repeat this in chapter 15 at the end and again in chapter 16, that God the Father has given us as followers of Christ, God the Spirit, to point us to God the Son. And if we understand that, then it makes sense when we come to our passage at the beginning of John 15 that Jesus is talking about himself. He's building on what he has said about the role of the Holy Spirit to point us to Jesus. And here Jesus is saying, I am the key to life. To growth, to change to greatness. And if Jesus wants anything for you as a follower of Christ, he wants you to be great as he counts greatness. Now I need to prove that. You may find that hard to believe. So I want you to stand with me now as we read beginning in John chapter 15 and verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, the Greek word behind our English word clean has been translated into, transliterated into English, and it's a word cathartic. Uh, you are already cathartic. You are clean because of the word I have uh, spoken to you. Uh, Jesus is saying, I've given you the gospel. I've taught you about myself. You have responded and you have been forgiven. In that sense, you have been cleansed by the Holy Spirit. So now Jesus goes on in verse 4, this famous verse, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither you can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But be aware that apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of eternal significance is what Jesus means. If you do not remain in me, 
You are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Jesus is talking about hell. People who have rejected Jesus going to hell. If you remain in me, however, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you, a magnificent promise. This is to my Father's glory, that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And now Jesus says this, I'll come back to this, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may not be partial, not may be, it may not be sporadic, but it may be complete. Jesus has come to give you joy. You may be seated. This is God's word. This is one of the most amazing passages for my money in the New Testament. But I got to clarify something. Because as much as this famous passage has to say about the relationship of the disciples, the relationship of you and me to Jesus, and what it says, as I'm about to explain, is unbelievable. As much as it has to say about our relationship with Jesus, the emphasis in this passage is on how the disciples, how you and I, through Jesus, will bear spiritual fruit. I mean, five times in the first paragraph, Jesus used the words, the words fruit, the word fruit or fruitfulness. In the second paragraph, he talks a couple of times about much fruit. God has created you, make no mistake. And it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what you've been through. God has created you to bear fruit. Jesus has redeemed you to bear fruit. Jesus now dwells inside you as the vine to enable you, to empower you, to source you uh, to bear fruit. Jesus has come that you might become spiritually great. And in that and through that, experience profound joy. Now, fruit here um, has a twofold aspect. On the one hand, it refers to our character, our integrity, uh, how we live our lives, what we think, uh, what we do, what we say. Uh, think of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, but on the other hand, uh, fruit here ha has to do with the impact and influence of our lives on others. Uh, this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, metaphors that you and I as followers of Christ are salt and light. And, and uh, frankly, all of this is too wonderful. Uh, but I want you to understand, nobody saw the fruitfulness, the influence and impact of the disciples coming. If you and I were with them, around them, uh, a part of them, uh, uh, we wouldn't have seen that at all. And yet here in this passage and throughout these five chapters, Jesus is talking to us about how we can become great. I mean how we can be fruitful for the kingdom of God. 
And this morning, I so want this for you because I want you to live a life of influence for the glory of God. And what I see here, and really all I have time to develop, and and there's more, is that according to Jesus, there are three ingredients that go into a life of fruitfulness. And here's the first. You must be clear that Jesus is your vine. Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine. In verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Now think about this. Your job is not your vine. Your money, your family is not your vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And you are my branches. I can't begin to get my mind around this metaphor. It's so profound. I mean, all the invitations, all the promises in the Bible pointing us to Jesus come together in this metaphor. I am the true vine. You are, you are the branches. Jesus is teaching the disciples that yes, I will die for you. Yes, I will be raised from the dead for you, but I am not coming to live outside you. I am coming to live inside you. The vine is a metaphor, and metaphors in the Bible are designed by God to call us to look beyond the physical and to see the profound, to imagine the profound spiritual realities that this physical metaphor points to. And so let me sum it, and this is so inadequate, but it's what I see here. The metaphor means what a vine is to a branch. Jesus is to you. In other words, Jesus is everything. Jesus is the source of your life, the the, the power of your life, uh, the joy of your life. Now, Jesus here, in using this metaphor, I'm the vine, you are the branches, is talking about the nature of our relationship with him, the shared life we enjoy with Jesus, what theologians call our union in Christ. It's what Paul gets at over and over in the little prepositional phrase, in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means Christ is in you and you are in him. And that's the point of this metaphor. I am the vine, you are the branches. You have no worries, you have all joy. Because I have come to live inside you and I am the source of your life. And so what Jesus is telling us at the beginning is this shared life we enjoy in Jesus is the doorway, the entry point for living a life of influence, impact, of being different in the most positive sense of the term. Now now think about this context. The disciples are scared to death. Uh, Their anxiety levels are skyrocketed. 
they are going to be up against overwhelming odds. Their lives will be characterized by poverty and problems. Uh, as they move and minister in the hostile world of the first century, uh, they will experience continuous contempt and rejection, persecution. Some will end up in prison. Almost all of them will be martyred, will be killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, in spite of all of that, Jesus promises here, and it's a promise that they will bear much fruit. That we will bear much fruit to the, under, to the extent we understand that Jesus is the source of our life. Uh, the strength of our life. The purpose of our life, the power of our life, our, our, our protector. What really hit me when I was studying this passage uh, uh, some time ago is that Jesus is promising just as the vine holds nothing back from its branches, he will hold nothing back from you. Now get that down. There is never a moment where Jesus is going to hold anything back from you. Paul elaborates on this in uh, Ephesians 1 when he says to be a believer is to have been blessed with every, not just a couple, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And Paul is talking about right now. And it's why he prays in Ephesians chapter 3 that Christ might dwell in our hearts by faith. And then he goes on and says, so that we might know the surpassing love of Christ, and we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He's talking about living a life of impact, living a life of influence, uh, living a life characterized by the fruits of the Spirit. Jesus is not some distant God who's given you a couple gifts and then walks away. No, Jesus is saying, I am the vine. I have taken up my residence inside you. It is permanent. It is eternal. It will never be broken. And enjoy the ride because I am your source of joy. That your joy may be complete, verse 11. Why? Precisely because his life flows through you. I mean, think about it. God's perfect son. Beloved of the father. The song, the very song of angels being sung right now. The creator and the sustainer of life. The Alpha and the Omega dwells in you. Not only do you have no worries, you have this incredible source of comfort, uh, compassion, strength, and power. And it's all wrapped in God's love for you. When Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches, Jesus says, I love you with an eternal love. And this is what we see in verse 9. I find this to be amazing. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you with all the intensity, all, 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 all the infinite resources, all the wisdom, all the, uh, the compassion, 
uh, all the unfailing love that the Father has for the Son, Jesus has for you, uh, for me. And just again, as the Father will never withhold anything from the Son, uh, so Jesus will never withhold anything from you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. I am your vine. Stop, stop making other people, other circumstances, other situations, your joy, your life, your priority, your vine. Now, uh, let's go a little further in this. When Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, uh, Jesus is telling us that he has redeemed us so that we would live lives dependent upon him, joyfully dependent upon him. But let me add something. If you go back to the last couple verses of John 14, Jesus introduces the subject of Satan. And he warns the disciples by saying, Satan is coming at you. And he's been doing that in our lives as believers throughout history. And from the Garden of Eden to today, 2021, Satan wants to whisper in your ear. Satan does whisper in your ear. Your ear. And I want to tell you, our, our culture is listening. As through cultures throughout history have listened. And there are two primary lies that relate, as it relates to this issue of our dependence on, on the vine that Satan wants you to believe. And I'm warning you as Jesus is warning you here, apart from him you can do nothing. And the first lie is the lie of autonomy. Satan wants you to believe that you are independent. That you can do whatever you please, whatever you feel. And that's exactly one of the dominant values, what we call plausibility structures in our culture today. But no, no, no. I mean, just as the potter owns the clay, just as the painter owns a painting, uh, just as the builder owns his house, uh, just as a business owner owns her startup, God created you and God owns you and Jesus has redeemed you. You are not your own, Paul says. You are bought with a price. Jesus says, you're not the vine, I'm the vine. You have this wonderful privilege of being a, a branch vitally connected to the vine, so stay dependent upon me. And I'm not talking about being needy and weak. I'm talking about being strongly dependent on the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Autonomy, this notion that you are autonomous, that we are independent, uh, that we can do whatever our impulses uh, uh, dictate, is a lie from the pit of hell. And it will destroy your life and it will rob you every moment you succumb to it as a follower of Christ of fruit, of impact and influence. There's a second lie. Uh, Satan wants to convince you that you are self-sufficient. And so what does he do? He come along, comes along and 
he, he whispers in our ear and he says, you know what, you're going through this and you really have everything within you to be who you're supposed to be and to do what you're supposed to do. You can do this. Matter of fact, nobody else is going to do it. You've got to do it. But Jesus says, no, he begins. I am the vine. I am the true vine. And Jesus is saying, you are not self-sufficient. You are created to be dependent. And that's a wonderful dependent because in it you will find complete joy. And Jesus is inviting you to believe that, to go to the bank on that, uh, to, to trust that. Because if we understand that we are not autonomous, if we understand we are not self-sufficient, uh, then you know what? The walls of our pride, the arrogance in our, in our hearts just begin to shatter. And we will experience joy. Because we know we have a vine that is the true vine who just happens to be running the universe. So Jesus, right out of the block, says, if you want to get to influence, if you want to live a life of impact, well, you can just live a comfortable life, but that's not what Jesus is calling us to here. That is not how believers live. If you want to do this, and you got to be clear that I am the vine. And man, enjoy the ride. Now that Jesus says a second thing, this is the second ingredient. You and I must be content when, the, content when the Father prunes. And prune he will. So look at verses 2 and 3. Let's jump to verse 2. Jesus says, my Father cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And then he adds, and by the way, you're a believer, you're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus is drawing a contrast in verse 2 between a non-believer and a believer. The non-believer, tells, he tells us, is cut off. The branch is cut off. The believer, on the other hand, is cut back. The believer is pruned. And Jesus is saying, as a believer, you simply will not grow unless the Father prunes you. And I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to be in a vineyard, vineyard, but I happened to be there one time in California, and they were pruning, and there were a group of men that were pruning, and they were moving fast, and they had their clippers back in Jesus' day. It was a knife. And what, when they're done, it's amazing because the ground is full of clusters. The ground is full of twigs. The ground is full of branches, and it looks like there's hardly anything left on the vine. It looks like the vine and the remaining branches have been attacked and stripped. And do you see what Jesus is saying to you? Jesus is saying that the Father's knife will come into your life. And yes, there may be a dream or a hope that gets dashed, or there may be a problem or, or situations or adversity or, or, or pain that will crash against you. Uh, there will be a disappointment and, and difficulty. We live in a sinful, fallen world. 
And in those moments, you will be tempted, and I have been there, believe me, to say this is just a waste. Why in the world is this happening? And we tend to say, as Israel says in Isaiah chapter 40, in her disappointment with God, why is my way hidden from my God? Why has my Lord disregarded my cause? And you know what Jesus is saying in verse 2? He is saying the Father prunes you so you can reach your potential. So you can be all God wants you to be. So you can live a, 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 and experience the ab abundant life. And then uh, as you're dying, you can look back and you are amazed at what Jesus Christ has done in you because he is your true vine, nothing else. Now don't misunderstand. Verse 2 is not implying that God is sitting in heaven thinking, man, what terrible thing can I do to this person today? No, uh, Jesus is saying when those uh, difficult things uh, come into our lives, if we are vitally connected to the vine, then our problems will humble us. Our, our, our problems will, will melt us. Our, our problems will press us more into the wonderful reality here this glorious reality that we only have one vine in life that will sustain us, and, and that is Jesus. Let me illustrate this. Two women had equally hard lives for the same reason. Both, both of their husbands were jerks. They were nasty. And their marriages, as a result, were almost impossible. And as a consequence of year after year of conflict and anger and outbursts, both women had sons that were off the reservation. So these two women didn't know each other very well, but they went to their pastor, they attended the same church, and the pastor told them independently to forgive to memorize and apply 1 Peter chapter 3, I believe it's verse 9. Do not repay insult for insult or evil for evil. On the contrary, repay evil with a blessing. Because to this you were called that you might inherit a blessing. And the first woman, woman went home and it was a horrible struggle, but she did that. She forgave. but the second woman couldn't. And as a result of uh, the first woman's forgiveness and battle, uh, over time, you know what happened? She became a light in that incredibly dark home. And as years went by, that darkness got pushed out the windows. And that house was now a home. But the second woman couldn't forgive. And everything in her home fell apart. And some years went by and uh, the pastor said as he reflected on it that, you know, the problem with the second woman was 
her son became her vine. Her source of joy, significance, and meaning. And when he went bad, she gave up everything. And she, the anger that, and the juices that she had been stewing in overwhelmed her life. And she became bitter and impossible herself. The first woman, on the other hand, the pastor said, realized and rejoiced in the wonderful reality that Jesus is, in fact, our vine, our source of joy, our source of identity, our, our, our source of significance. So horrible things can happen, but we can be okay. We can be content and intact. And when we understand that, it, it changes everything. And the point is, the same knife that cuts off a person who locates their joy in something else other than Jesus is the very knife that cuts back the person that does locate their joy in Jesus and then in the hands of our loving Father. It produces unbelievable fruit, light, harmony, and compassion. So uh, Jesus is saying two things, two ingredients uh, to a life of influence, a life of impact. What Jesus desperately wants for you, he has redeemed you for. And the first is that you are clear that he is your vine and that's how you functionally live. And second, you are okay. I mean, you are content when he prunes you. And here's the third. You are committed to actively pursuing Jesus. So you are clear, you are content, and you are committed. And I left the word committed out uh, to shorten it. You must actively pursue Jesus. And this is what he's getting at in these marvelous verses, verses 4 and 5. Now notice the repetition of the verb remain. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. What a promise. I got to press pause and I just got to say this. You know, you think what you experience during your day sometimes is ultimate reality. The good things and the bad things. And what Jesus is saying, no, no, uh, it's real, but ultimate reality is I am the vine. That's your ultimate reality. That's the definition of who you are. Jesus is your vine. You are a branch. If you remain in me, he goes on in verse 5, and I in you, you will bear, here it is, much fruit. Because apart from me, if you choose and cling to another vine, if you uh, uh, source your joy in something else other than me, um, you can do nothing of significance. 
Uh, do you see the metaphor? Uh, remain here means to abide. It means to draw your life from. It means to stay locked in on. It means to persevere with. If you're a camper, it means to make your camp daily with Jesus. Now, there's two aspects to this that I want to uh, unfold. And the first focuses on God and is the sovereignty of God's side of spiritual growth and change and impact. And the Bible tells us over and over that God is sovereign in our lives, that God loves us, that God is working all things together uh, for good in our lives. And therefore, our response is to be confident in God's sovereignty and God's goodness and, and God's love, to know that he has our back to know that he has, knows every hair on our head, to trust him, to believe in him. As the Old Testament says, see, I have engraved your name on the palm of my hand. That's how much you mean to God. He's engraved your name on his hand. It's just amazing. And when we understand this and we live in light of the goodness of God, then we remain in the sense that we are confident, we are contented, we are at peace. And so with David, we can say, and I've mentioned this before, but it's so helpful here. David, the king, can say, my heart is not proud. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. He was the king. And then he goes on and he says, I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with this mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. I doubt a leader in human history could say that. Like David says it. I am content. You see, David can say, I am content because he knows using that metaphor that mother knows best. And God knows infinitely better. So remaining here is you and I assuming a position of surrender and submission and, and humility just as Jesus did at his incarnation. When he laid aside his glory, took upon uh, him, himself the form of man, became a man as an extraordinary picture of humility. And then Jesus, in submission to the Father, lived every day of his life as a man facing suffering. But because he trusted in the Father, he could stay humble before the Father, submit to the Father, and here Jesus invites you by faith to do the same. Now let me go to the second aspect of this, the second side of the equation. This focuses on the you side, I mean you and me, on our human responsibility for spiritual growth. And what does remain mean here? It means that you take action on your part to obey Christ, to love Christ, to seek and pursue Christ as a lover seeks or pursues his or her beloved. Uh, Isaiah said the problem with Israel was that there was no one, that there was no one that was striving to lay a hold of God. When Jesus says remain over and over, he's calling you to strive to lay a hold of him, of the living God. Now, I'm going to show you three quotes. I want you to know that each of them are hundreds of years old. 
Here's the first, let us labor to feel Christ in us. The second, labor to fill your hearts with the cross of Christ. And the third, labor to be continually growing in divine love. The first is John uh, Calvin, the second is John Owen, the third is Jonathan Edwards. And do you notice the repetition of the word labor? That's what Jesus is getting at with the word remain. Anything you and I want to do well, we labor over, whether it's our, our sport or our music or our academics or our job or our family or a hobby or this or that. You are what you love, and what you love, you, love, you labor over. So love is developing habits and practices, uh, small ones, medium-sized ones, big ones, rituals, if you will, that form and deepen and direct your affection. Now, to become a Christian is easier than we often think because there's not all these things we have to do. We don't have to clean up and get it together. We simply, and this is the Good news of the gospel, I have to trust in Jesus Christ. But I want to say to you, in light of this concept of remaining, that growing in Christ is often much harder than we think. Because you can't just sit and soak. To become spiritually great demands labor, just as anything good does. And two verses later, among the other things Jesus says in this passage, like uh, obedience, two verses later, Jesus zeroes in on one of the primary ways that we need to labor. If you remain in me, and here it is, and my words, my words remain in you. They're alive in you. They're, They're current in you. Then, then, you can ask, and you can experience joy. This is a promise. And Jesus is saying the key to answer prayer is believing in Jesus by pressing the Bible into your heart. And I want you to see my words remain in you. Um, uh, Jesus is talking about your slow, steady intake of God's word through reading the Bible, through memorizing verses, through being a part of a group that discusses the Bible, to listening regularly to sermons, to podcasts, to reading books that will help you grow, that reflect on different passages in the Bible. And Jesus is saying, this is how you grow. Last fall, when COVID was peaking again, I did a wedding out of state in a vineyard. And the couple wanted me to talk about John 15. And I, this is my little wedding book. And I want to read just a portion of that ceremony, what I said about this verse, verse 7. What Jesus is teaching is that you cannot have Christ apart from his word. So to the extent that you treasure God's word, meditate on God's word, memorize God's word, you will existentially, that is experientially, know just how precious Jesus is. The most important, and this is what I want you to hear, the most important thing you can do for your marriage according to Jesus is read your Bible. You've got a place, you've got a plan. Talk about the Bible and submit to the authority of the Bible. 
because it's the Bible that teaches you what it means for Jesus to be the vine and out of the fullness of his life flowing through you what it looks like in marriage to forgive each other, to love each other unconditionally, uh, to be content uh, when you're confused or disappointed, to not return insult for insult, to treat each other with dignity, respect, and most of all, how to become such good friends that no matter what problems arise, your love for each other is unshakable. If you want to remain in Christ, you must remain in his word. So that brings me to the end. Jesus has come that you might have joy, that you might have life, that your life might be full and rich and one of influence. And that happens to the extent that you are continuously clear that Jesus is your vine, that you are okay when the Father prunes you and you actively, I mean actively, strive to lay a hold of God by pressing God's word into your heart. And this leads wonderfully to communion. And so I want to invite you, those of you that are here, and maybe you're doing this at home, to participate with us in, in communion right now. So go ahead and, and take out this little container or cup that contains both the cracker and the grape juice. And I want you to think about what you're holding in light of what Jesus has been saying. You see, what the, the, the bread and the wine or the uh, uh, grape juice and the cracker uh, tell us, now hear me in this, is that Jesus was cut off for you. Uh, the two are a picture uh, of Jesus' broken body and shed blood. Uh, it's a picture that Jesus in instituting these is drawing a picture saying, I will be cut off for you so that if you believe in me, you will ever only be cut back. And that in love. And so as terrible as the knife in our life, the pruning in our life sometimes can be, it was infinitely worse for Jesus. And the cracker and the grape juice tell us something else. Actually, they reveal Jesus' promise to us. that he will never, ever withhold anything from us because of what he has done for us. And we will live lives, not of inconsequence, but consequence, because he is our vine, and we are his branches. So, Father, we thank you for this moment and as we take these elements, we pray that you would speak to us about this unbelievable reality that our life is in Jesus. Amen. So if you are with us here today, go ahead and peel back and take out the cracker. If you're doing this at home, grab a piece of bread or, or, or whatever. 
and know that on the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus used this as a picture and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then taking the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, drink it in remembrance of me. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this moment, this opportunity to remember. Uh, remember that our vine gave his life, that we might become branches. That our vine loves us so much that he will bless us and never stop loving us. So, Father, we come to you, and with hearts full of joy, we praise you for the wonder of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and let's celebrate all we have in Jesus Christ.
And so, Father, we praise you that we stand, sit, move, and live, walk and run in this power that has been unleashed and is ever-present in our lives because Jesus is our vine. And we are amazed at your unfailing love, your unlimited power, and the joy you offer us in spite of what life throws at us. Father, forgive us for our unbelief. Fill us with confidence in Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent.